The scripture today is from Jeremiah 29, 4-7. It's on page 538 of this Bible, over there on that table. Um, yeah. Thanks. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. The word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I do want to lift up um, Alexa, just as she heads into surgery this week. Lord, would you wrap your arms of love around her as she's experiencing any sort of fear? Lord, would you give her faith in Jesus? Help her to know your peace in this moment. And would it just go really well? Lord, would it meet all of our, would it go beyond our expectations? Lord, we know that you are a God who hears our prayers. And so we lay these requests before you as an offering. Uh, would you bless our time together, uh, this message? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're continuing in our series on faith and politics, faith and flourishing in politics. Uh, and the, the first, So you have the slides. There are slides over there on the table if you would like some. I also emailed them out so you can take notes that way. We do have some pens as well if you are a note taker and that helps you focus. Uh, we're in our fourth week. Right? And we're going through the, the word flourish as an acronym to remember concepts, commands for how we are to engage in our world and in our culture. Right? So our first week was F. Does anyone remember what the letter F stood for? I hear whispers. Is that the Holy Spirit? What, any? Faith. Faith, not fear. Yeah, faithful presence. Also kind of remember, uh, goes with that. That's right. L, does anyone remember what the L stood for? Love. Good. Any particular people we're loving? Love God and neighbor. Love God and neighbor. Uh, even enemies, even political enemies. Uh, and today we're continuing with the O. It's the big re reveal. I need Sean to be like... Other people's good, right? Other people's good. And you would have known that if you looked at the slides beforehand. Uh, other people's good. And there's a lot of overlap with uh, L in this, uh, this letter. But uh, we're going to be looking not so much at maybe a personal level, but also more of a, a, a broader cultural level as well. Uh, and I wanted to start by telling you about a British game show. Because we all love game shows, or some of us do. I enjoy them. Uh, British game shows, uh, pretty exciting. There's a, a game show that met, uh, that, that, uh, that I guess met, it's on the air in the late 2000s. The whole concept was about winning money, right? Uh, and there was these like golden sort of spheres, uh, these tennis-sized balls that, that would come down on this sort of conveyor belt system, and they each had amounts in them, right? And anywhere from uh, 10 10 sterling, this is a British show, 10 sterling uh, to 75,000 sterling. Uh, and they would kind of go through different rounds and they'd come to some sort of point where they had a, a lump jackpot, right? And that could be 100 sterling if they didn't do well or 100,000 sterling if they did really well. And it was two contestants at the end, 
And the game show tested what people would do. Would they choose the good of both of them or would they choose their own good? And how they did this is that they, they had a choice. They could either choose to steal or to split. Right? So they each had a, a ball that they would open, a golden ball with their, their answer. And if they chose to split, they both chose split, they'd get to split the pot. They'd both get the amount. And if they both chose to steal, right, no one would get anything. They'd just give it back to the game show. <laughs> and then if one chose split and one chose steal, the one who stole would walk away with the full pot. And uh, there was, uh, there's some very famous clips of this, but uh, there's a famous episode where there's like this big tough guy, right? He's sitting across from the table from like this small, petite, blonde woman. And uh, he's just like assuring her, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna split the pot with you. I'm gonna split, I, it's, and it's 100,000 sterling. It's, it's like a huge pot. It's like 50,000 sterling, that's a lot of money. I'm gonna split it with you. She's like, okay, good, good. And he's just like, I'm gonna do it. And then, uh, so they talk. And then the, the game show host has them reveal, and he, he reveals split, and she reveals steal. <laughs> and he collapses in his, in his hands, and she's just like, oops, uh, but I got 100,000 sterling out of this. Uh, if you were put in a position like that, what would you choose? Right? Or, now we're all kind of like, oh, I'd choose the, the split. Right? <laughs> I choose the split. I'm a good person. But maybe a part of you is like, well, I don't know. It's a game show, right? I would take a little bit more. Now, there was one uh, where the guy said, this isn't actually in my notes, this is just for, for fun. The, the guy said, I'm going to steal it from you. Uh, I'm going to choose steal. Would you? I don't know, I'll split it with you afterwards. So, just my word, I'm going to, to steal it from you. And the guy was like, what? This is crazy. Uh, and so he convinced the other guy, who was going to steal, to actually choose split. And then he chose split. And they were able to come to uh, a mutually beneficial uh, position. But as we think about ourselves as, as Christians in the world, right? Like, how are we supposed to engage? Would we choose what's best for us? Would we choose what's best for all of us? My group or us as a society? That's a difficult and complicated question, right? Do I choose my good, our own good? And it's not so clear. We definitely talked about that in Christian Ed this morning. But I guess the, the question is, what's our priority? What should we focus on? My good? Our good? Common good? So my, my sort of big idea is that God calls his people, us, followers of Jesus, to seek other people's good. And I want to back up and sort of trace this through the Bible, kind of doing a big picture overview of the scriptures, right? We started in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, where God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Uh, God created them for flourishing. He made them in his image, called them to rule over the world, to set up governance, to order things, right? To, there was like this chaos and disorder, and then God came along and created order and beauty, and human beings, humankind, are sort of supposed to do the same thing, right? Create a garden in the desert. And how do we do with that? Not great. Right? We chose the steel. <laughs> we chose the steel. And so God sent us out of that garden, but our mandate was still the same. Go and seek the flourishing of our world. It's going to be really hard. We're operating under the curse, but still seek the flourishing of our world. 
And God began to continue to, to unravel that story, to tell the story out. He called a people through Abraham, Abram, Abraham, said, I'm going to bless the entire world, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to bless the entire world through your family, through your people. And then we get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? That God's people then become a nation. And then this nation is supposed to be like a, a tribe, uh, a, a, a nation of priests that, that's blessing the entire world. And yet they stumble and they fall and they actually choose their own good and they act selfishly, just like all of us. And God had promised Israel that like when he entered into like a special relationship with them, a special covenant, he promised them that if, if they disobeyed him, if they rebelled against him, if they chose their way instead of his way, he was going to what? Send them into captivity, send them into exile. And we see that happen several hundred years later. They keep sinning, so God sends them into exile. This is sort of a repeat of Genesis 1. Well, Genesis 1 through 3, right? God created this garden, the Garden of Eden, which is sort of like a temple where his presence is. And then people sin and get exiled from the garden. And what do they do in Israel? Like they, the people sin and they get exiled from the temple in Jerusalem, right? No longer having that immediate access to God. So God sends them out into captivity, and yet, what does God call them to do in Babylon, where they're in exile? God calls them to be fruitful and multiply. This is similar to the Genesis 1 mandate. So I want to read the Genesis 1 mandate first. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. So this is God blessing male and female, all humankind. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? God's taking that chaos, making it beautiful, calling people to take the chaos and make it beautiful. To have dominion is like this act of stewardship, not lordship, not like, not like, uh, not uh, abusive lordship, but like kind uh, stewardship. And so we took that as a model for us, right? We're to go out and seek the order and the beauty of our world. Now Israel, right, they go into captivity and they're actually sort of in a parallel situation, right? <laughs> their city, uh, their temple's been destroyed. Their uh, city has been knocked down the walls. Their homes captured and destroyed. Their, 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 their rulers, their best, their brightest taken into captivity. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Right? That's chaos. That's this disaster. <laughs> they're just like Adam and Eve. And what does God say? What does God call them to do to bring order and beauty to the chaos? And that's where we come to today's passage, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Isn't that interesting? God sends them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is, now listen carefully, this sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. That's actually the same Hebrew word in Genesis 1. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Go out and be a blessing 
to the nations. Israel, you weren't doing a very good job of it back in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you to Babylon, and you're going to be a blessing there. Do you see the parallels between Genesis 1 and Jeremiah 29? We're called to be a blessing in exile. The people of Israel were called to take their chaos, their disorder, turn it into something redemptive. You know, and as we think about ourselves and our world today, do you feel a little chaos? <laughs> do you feel a little disorder? Maybe you feel like a political exile. Right? You don't feel like you fit in any one political party and the things going on in this world frustrate you. Well, go back to Genesis 1. Go back to Jeremiah 29. Our job as Christians then is to seek the flourishing of the city. Be fruitful. <laughs> Multiply. Have children. Plant gardens. God calls us to go out and to steward creation, steward the world wherever he places us. Whether we're in the Garden of Eden where God feels close and the temple is present, or we're in Babylon in exile. And maybe some of us feel that way about our culture, even our communities that we're a part of regularly. We feel the chaos. We feel like exiles. God calls his people to seek other people's good. And we do that through three ways, along with everything we've been talking about, faith, not fear, love God, love neighbor, right? But three ways in this text uh, that kind of put some, some flesh on the, on the bones here. Number one is we cultivate shalom. So we're going to talk about what shalom means. Number two, we seek the common good. And number three, we pray. We pray for the city. And these things together help, help bring the order and the beauty that God desires in the chaos. So number one is cultivate shalom. Uh, verse 7 said this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. That word for welfare is the word shalom. But notice, like, this is Jeremiah the prophet writing to the, the Jewish nation, the tribes of Israel that, are, have, that have been taken into captivity. He's writing to them, right? Is it, is it appropriate? Like, as, as Christians, as we interpret the Bible today, we need to ask, is it appropriate to apply Jeremiah 29 to us in our situation today? We're not in Babylon in captivity. Well, the Bible actually identifies believers, Christians, as exiles as exiles. That's the Bible's language. Peter identifies believers as exiles in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. And then Paul actually says that our citizenship, Christian citizenship, is in heaven. Philippians 3.20. Right? So you and how you engage in the world and how I engage the world, we're supposed to feel like exiles. <laughs> we're supposed to identify primarily as citizens of heaven. And that changes how we think about how we engage in the world, right? That we're sojourners, aliens. And that our ultimate citizenship is with Jesus. Our true home is not Israel, it's not Westford, it's not America, it's not Massachusetts, it's the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus came and gave us that, that political manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, for his people. Because he, he was giving them like a, a new ethic to live by as they live in Babylon, <laughs> Right? Do you, do you realize that like we as Christians are theologically in Babylon? I can feel a little uncomfortable. Say, I'm in Babylon? What do you mean? No, yeah, we're in Babylon. <laughs> Whether it's America Babylon or 
Canadian Babylon, <laughs> Turkmenistan Babylon, wherever it is, because we're citizens of heaven, we're operating under sort of this, in, in this sort of foreign state. And we care about Babylon, don't get me wrong, we care about Babylon, right? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to seek the welfare of the city. We're supposed to, supposed to seek the shalom of Babylon. So living in Babylon is not a bad thing. It's just where God has placed us. And so we seek the shalom, the welfare of our city. And shalom is not like a word that, you know, we generally use, maybe if you're Jewish, right? But uh, shalom is a, a word, sometimes we translate it as peace in the New Testament. Peace. But shalom is actually far richer than the word peace, right? Because peace is sort of this idea of absence of conflict, right? Like the war is over. Therefore, we have peace. But shalom is how things are supposed to be, right? It's the webbing together of God, of humans. It's all of creation. It's the world living together in justice, uh, harmony, uh, joy, flourishing, wholeness, delight. Shalom, right, is the way things ought to be. God calls us as Christians to seek the shalom of our cities. In our case, and maybe where you live, wherever God has placed you, because I know we draw from all around, but shalom is seeking the flourishing of your city, of this city, of our cities. And that, the, the word for politics actually comes from just the word for city, polis, right? And so I know that politics can sort of be a dirty word, right? Oh, politics. But, but politics just means you care about the city. It comes from uh, Aristotle's, he wrote, he, Aristotle, he wrote a book called uh, Politic, or Politique, I don't know exactly how to say it, but he wrote a book about how to govern the uh, city-states of Athens, right? And so to care about politics is just to care about your city. It's to care about your state. There's nothing inherently wrong with politics. I think politics is different than partisanship, where you kind of get wrapped up in a tribal or group identity and let them do the thinking for you. That's different. Politics is sort of moving towards that idea of shalom, that you just you care about where you dwell. One of my, uh, so I, I just went out to this uh, church planting conference with the four C's. I, I volunteer on their church multiplication committee. And uh, I went out and was just chatting with other church planters. One of the planters, the pastors, is uh, serving in Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania. And he uh, is running for his select board. Uh, it's just interesting. Like, you're a pastor, and yet you're running for your town's select board. Right? It's because he cares about his city. <laughs> He cares about the spiritual health of his city. That's he's a pastor. He preaches the gospel, leads people to Christ, but he also cares about the flourishing, the community well-being of those around him. Right? Seeks the shalom of the city. And so politics is a little bit different, but shalom is sort of seeks that vision of flourishing that we talked about in our, our first message. Right? And we can't seek shalom if we're sort of fighting against the city, right? There were other prophets in Jeremiah that were saying, like, God's going to destroy Babylon and bring you home in two years. Jeremiah was like, no, God's going to bring you home in 70 years. Don't fight against the city. Be present. Plant gardens. Make babies. 
seek the flourishing of the city. We can't do it from running away, from just becoming like Babylon. You read the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? They don't give in to Babylon, but they are present. I'm going to send out a, a follow-up sermon that does a really great job of talking about that. There's a town in uh, Northern Ireland uh, called Londonderry. And that's what the Protestants call it. <laughs> and the pro-British supporters call it. The Catholics and Irish nationalists call it Derry. <laughs> Londonderry, half the city, Derry for the other half the city. And it's actually common to look in like Northern Ireland and when you encounter a sign that says Londonderry, like the, the London part will be spray painted out. I have a picture of that in the, in the slides because the nationalists are like, we believe this is called Dairy, a Netflix show called Dairy Girls. Right? And there's this further division because on one side of the river, there's Protestants, kind of pro-British supporters. On the other side of the river, there's Catholics, identify uh, their Ireland. So there's this real division, and there's been acts of violence in that city, horrible tragedies, horrible things that have come on, and yet that city is also working toward, to, to, to bridge the gap. One of the ways they're doing that is by building a literal bridge <laughs> across the river. It's like this sort of snake-looking bridge. It sort of goes back and forth. And this 900-foot bridge is called a peace bridge, and it's just for cyclists, joggers, and walkers. And what it's all meant to do is just bring Londonderry and Derry together, bring Catholics and Protestants together. And that's a picture of seeking the shalom of the city, trying to create harmony. And as Christians, we have much greater tools, but we shouldn't underestimate practical things like that. As we look at our world, how can we build peace bridges, right? We're not uh, going to have to wrestle between Jew and Gentile, but man, we sure have to wrestle between Republican and Democrat. Neighbor and neighbor, people who see things one way and people who see things the correct way, my way, <laughs> right? Having some humility and just trying to build bridges, <laughs> to foster peace, to foster harmony. And that's one of the ways that we seek other people's good. We seek the shalom of our city, of our state. And that is hard. <laughs> and number two, we seek the common good. And one of the things I wanted to do in this sermon series as we talk about faith and flourishing in politics is to give us some shared language for how we talk about things like politics. And I think the common good uh, is a word that is rooted in Scripture. This is not a capitalist word. This is not a communist word. It actually predates both of them to Thomas Aquinas. Maybe you know him. He's a Catholic uh, sort of theologian, lived in the 13th century. Uh, and then there's Pope Leo XIII, who developed this common good language more. It's this concept that's rooted in the Scripture that talks about, like, how do we measure how our government is doing, how, how the political system is working. And it just really is grounded in this idea of shalom. Is society flourishing? And it, and it specifically looks at the most vulnerable and needy and asks, are they flourishing? As a starting point for measuring how we as a society are doing. And like as Christians and as, as people in our culture, like we're always about like, yeah, we want the most vulnerable to flourish. Not in my backyard, but we, we want them to flourish. 
right? We care about housing developments and other things. As long as it doesn't cost my kids their funding and their school, or their place, as long as the classrooms aren't too crowded. <laughs> as Christians, we're supposed to seek the, the common good. Keller calls this a, 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 the church a counterculture for the common good. A counterculture for the common good. And we've talked about this in our series, right? As Christians, we're supposed to be salt and light, right? We shine in the darkness. We bring preservation and flavor uh, to the world. We don't run away, <laughs> just separate ourselves, right? But we come to the chaos and we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to bring order and beauty in even small measures. You know what? That's... That's where the Holy Spirit is, <laughs> right? Where was the Holy Spirit in that chaos, in that void? It says, like, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? God's Spirit's there in the chaos, bringing beauty and order in and, and, and surprising and unexpected ways. You know, when the Jews were in exile in Babylon, uh, the prophet Ezekiel had this vision. of So, like, God's Spirit... The Holy Spirit was sort of symbolized as this glory cloud, like this just, just thick smoke billowing cloud. And he had this vision where he, he was in Babylon at the time, but he had this vision of the, the glory cloud leaving the temple. And it like went out through the, from the Holy of Holies to the front door, and it rose up from the city. It's a very sad moment, right? Because God's leaving Jerusalem, this place where he has been and going up. And that's not the end of the story, though, because if God just left, that would be awful. But where does the Holy Spirit go? The Holy Spirit goes to Babylon. <laughs> the Holy Spirit goes to captivity to be with the people of God. God is in captivity, in exile with his people. If that doesn't sound like the gospel, I don't know what does. <laughs> right? The God of the universe, the Lord of, of creation <laughs> would send his son to live in captivity among us. To walk <laughs> through our cities and our streets to win us salvation. <laughs> Getting a little ahead of myself, but like Christ is the embodiment of the common good. Christ is good for all. He deals with our sins, he forgives us, he renews us, and he works through us to transform our world. And I want to talk about then Christ's body made manifest in our world, right? Because he ascended, died, he rose again, he ascended, and, and yet he said, I'm going to send someone, right? I'm going to send a comforter, I'm going to send a helper. And that's the glory cloud, Come. Where do we see that? We see that in Acts chapter 2, right? At Pentecost. What happens? So a little tangent, but like Israel rebuilds their temple, and there is no glory cloud that fills that temple. Not even in a vision, not in reality. And the first time they built the temple with Solomon, there was a glory cloud that showed up. When Israel comes back from exile, they build the temple. No glory cloud. God has an even greater temple in mind. He has his church. What happens at Pentecost, right? They're praying. <laughs> you know, Jeremiah talks about praying for the city. 
they're praying and like these tongues of fire come down and rest over the believers. It's saying God's Holy Spirit has come to the church. God's glory cloud has come to fill his people. This is the new temple. And the temple is sort of in Babylon, right? Because the people go out, they go to Jerusalem, eventually go up to Antioch. They spread out into the world. <laughs> this is God's temple right here. It's in Babylon, full of the Holy Spirit, seeking the goodness of the city. And where do we see this embodied a little bit further in Acts chapter 2? Verses 42 through 47 are a picture of this new temple that's worshiping God gathering around Christ and seeking the common good of each other and their neighbors. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's happening here? <laughs> this is Genesis 1. This is Jeremiah 29. God's people are coming together to worship God, to dwell as a temple. To, to serve others and, and God's Holy Spirit is showing up and they're being fruitful. <laughs> they're multiplying, right? The Lord added to their number. Always like, well, what does that mean? Like, is it just, this is like the perfect example of like church growth and yeah, it sort of is, but it's also meant to, to remind us of that ultimate like mandate to go out and seek the flourishing. And now, <laughs> now, we do it empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, as you and I go out into our world to seek the common good, we don't do it by ourselves and our own power. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself, and we do it with our church family. We do it together as a church community. This is something that we enjoy and we share together. And it's sort of silly illustration, but like, Maybe you think of the common good as like a pizza, right? Everyone gets a slice. <laughs> I love pizza. I want my slice, and I want my slice to be a little bit bigger than your slice. <laughs> and that's like the common good, right? Actually, it's not quite like that, right? I think that's the vision of the world. The world has for goodness, right? Like we all have an equal share. And that's many people's vision for how the world should be run. The common good is much more like a symphony where all the instruments come together and play together and create something beautiful that none of those instruments could create on their own, right? Because if you, if like just the, the, like imagine you go to a, a symphony and like each instrument's like, okay, it's your turn. Like plays the violin part, there's the piano, right? The, 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 the French horn, Maybe I could be with the guy with like the little dinger, right? That wouldn't be very beautiful and it would be really long, really awkward. 
But when those things come together and we as the people of God living out his politic in our world, his ethics, when we come together and we work and, and, and we serve those around us and we seek the flourishing of our cities, like we're, not, we're doing politics. <laughs> I have a picture in the slides of like, like just picking up trash in Westford, doing a worship service on the Westford Common, you know, we've done the trunk or treat, like trying to seek the flourishing of our city. That's politics. God calls us to that. You know what's running through that symphony, that melody that's connecting all of it? God himself. The Holy Spirit is the common good. God is the one who creates goodness and beauty and holds all things together. Hmm. <laughs> and going back to Acts 2 and just looking at that big picture some of you know that like there's this moment like all the languages get sort of weirdly translated right Holy Spirit comes there's these little tongues of fire hanging over people's heads and they begin to talk and the people around them foreigners they, they hear them speaking in their own heart languages what is going on there you know, the first time that Babylon is actually mentioned in the Bible is not when the Israelites are taken into exile. It's actually in Genesis chapter 11 at this, this tower called the Tower of Babylon. We translate it the Tower of Babel. Same Hebrew word. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> right? What happens there, right? All people come together trying to build their own city great technology like they, they invent the brick <laughs> they're like we're going to build this city as high and as grand as magnificent as we can and you know what happens wickedness evil an unjust society and god confuses the languages and disperses the people and you know what acts chapter two is acts is the chapter two is the reverse of that <laughs> where god's holy spirit says now it's time to build my city. I'm going to gather my people to, to make a new counterculture for the common good empowered by my Holy Spirit. And this, this city, this church, is to not just cloister by itself and do its own thing, but sort of disperse into the world to be a blessing to all the nations, to share the gospel and to seek the good of their neighbors. This is a beautiful story that I want to be a part of. So God calls his people to seek other people's good by cultivating shalom, seeking the common good, and finally by praying for the city. Let's remind her, we can't do this by ourselves. Verse 7 of Jeremiah says, Pray to the Lord on its behalf. So how are we supposed to pray for our city? We're supposed to pray for its flourishing, for its shalom. But even in that, I, I do want to say kind of a word of caution about how we pray for our nation, how we pray for our cities. Maybe you've uh, heard this verse, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Maybe you or even I, or you've heard it used like, hey, if America just humbles themselves, seeks God's face, God's going to bless America. And there's perhaps some truth in that. 
But I also want to give, give like a word of caution. Right? Because God is speaking to the people in exile. God is speaking to his own people. America is not God's people. The church is God's people, right? Us as the community can identify as exiles and citizens in heaven. And so if you want to pray 2 Chronicles 7.14 for the church, <laughs> amen. But let's just be cautious about praying it for our sort of geopolitical state. And the good thing is that the Bible does give us ways to pray, right? It's okay to pray for shalom, for the flourishing of our city. And Paul actually says in 1 Timothy, he gives like a very clear way to pray. He says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? So how do we pray? <laughs> we pray for peaceful lives, quiet lives, godly lives, dignified lives. We pray for salvation. We've got to be careful about saying, like, if only our nation would obey God, then everything would be good. We pray for salvation, right? I, I do think it's okay. Like, pray your conscience. Pray against politicians and their policies if, if, if you see that it's working against the shalom of the city. But not as them as people, right? Pray for their salvation. Right? Pray, pray for their dignity and flourishing. And pray against policies. <laughs> That's a weird way to end. But if we back up and we think about what we're doing as Christians, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis 1. We see it in Jeremiah 29, and we see it in Acts chapter 2, right? Where the people of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are seeking other people's good. We're doing that by seeking shalom, seeking the common good, and praying for the city. That's politics. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Help us to cultivate shalom in our world. It's so hard to know exactly how to do it. <laughs> so hard to seek the common good. It takes so much wisdom. But at least give us a vision for the way we're supposed to engage in our world, Lord. We do pray for the flourishing, the shalom of our city. We know that those things happen through a relationship with you, God, ultimately. They also happen as your Holy Spirit fills us up to go out and be your servants, to take that faithful presence posture. Help us to live as exiles that seek the shalom of their city. We love you, Lord. We need you. We can't do this without you. We wouldn't want to. Thank you that you do send your Holy Spirit to be with us in Babylon. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.